Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Megan Edwards-Collins. I am an associate professor in the OT department at Winston-Salem State University and the technology coordinator for the Academic Education Special Intersection. I will be your moderator for this call. On behalf of the technology leadership team, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the AOTA Technology Virtual Chat. You can participate in this conversation by telephone and or by computer. To listen live by telephone, you can call 724-444-7444 and enter call ID 138131. You can also participate in this call on the web by visiting talkshoe.com backslash tc backslash 138131. Of course, you can just listen to the discussion, but we encourage you to actively participate by submitting your questions for our guests. You can type questions or comments into the chat section of our TalkShoe page. We will also open up the line a bit later so that you can ask questions by telephone. Today, we will be discussing the topic of the May 2018 quarterly article titled Occupational Therapy and Assistive Technology. Unique Contributions to Accessibility in Higher Education. AOTA members can go to aota.org to locate and download SIS quarterly articles. Our guests this evening are the authors of that article, Marla Christine Rowe, Shannon Lady, Ellen Nye, and Lola Johnson. Marla Christine Rowe, MSOTRL, is Director of the Assistive Technology Resource Center and an assistant professor in the Department of Occupational Therapy at Colorado State University. Marla, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Shannon Levy, MSOTRL, is a service coordinator in the Assistive Technology Resource Center at Colorado State University. Shannon, thank you for joining us today. Of course, thanks for having me. And Ellen Nye, is an occupational therapy graduate student at Colorado State University. Ellen, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. And uh, Willa Johnson, unfortunately, was not able to join us. She um, helped co-author the article and is a graduate student at Colorado State University who just started her fieldwork, I believe, today, right? I think so. If not today, this week, sometime. Yeah. Yeah. We wish her the best. (laughs) Uh, So again, thank you, ladies, again, for joining us today. Uh, For my first question, um, in your article, you mentioned that the actual proportion of post-secondary students with disabilities is uh, likely much higher than reported because of fear of stigma. What role, if any, do you see any occupational therapy practitioners playing in helping reduce the stigma in higher education? And Marla, I believe you said you were going to start this question off. 
Sure, I'd be happy to talk about this. So I, I think one thing that our profession could do is to help move services related to disability in higher ed from that of a medical model to one that considers a social model. So a social model would say the disability actually resides in the environment or in other words, we disable people by a lack of an inclusive design. So if we design that higher education setting to be more inclusive, then the need to seek accommodations for a disability might actually go down and that need to go and identify as having a disability may go down. Um, I think one other point is to, to say that we as OTs also need to help higher education faculty to see their role in terms of providing course materials and content in a manner that works for all students um, so they don't have to ask for something special. So for example, if a faculty member likes to show videos in class, if they can caption those videos, many students would benefit beyond just those with a hearing impairment. So that more inclusive, flexible curriculum will mean students don't have to identify. And the access is just provided through good teaching practices. Okay. Uh, have you found any good resources for assisting faculty in doing that? You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of information about this on the web now. I know our campus has worked really hard to put a site together called Accessibility by Design that is tutorials and um, you know gobs and gobs of resources to help faculty learn how to do this. We also do trainings in this realm, so if they want to have some hands-on time with some guidance, we can do that kind of thing as well. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, did anybody else have anything to add to that? Yes, um, just to speak to, this is Ellen, um, and just to speak to the kind of day-to-day, -day, um, my, my role here is also seeing clients um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think when I think of, of stigma and um, people with disabilities, we're oftentimes talking about non-apparent disabilities, which includes mental health. And for occupational therapy, you know, we as therapists look at, at the whole picture. And so when we're evaluating, you know, anxiety or, or depression, for example, we're evaluating it as something that's kind of getting in the way of occupation and not, you know, this, you know, not this element of the person that is their entire problem. Um, as Marla mentioned, if you were talking about a medical model, you might be, okay, what, what can we do to ameliorate or get rid of this anxiety or get rid of this depression or, or lessen its impact? But we're really looking at, you know, how do we get, you know, how do we address the occupations that anxiety or depression gets in the way of? And so when I work with clients who come in, um, you know, it's not a conversation about, like, let's talk about your feelings, let's talk about what you're anxious about and why you're anxious. Um, my questions are, you know, how does, it, how does it get in the way? You know, what's it in the way of? Um, and how can we work with it, work around it? How can we make it so that it's not quite such a big player in what you're trying to accomplish as a student? So that's something that definitely has been um, very helpful for me to kind of, kind of in a, an area that I've grown as I've been working in the ATRC is understanding that that, that kind of conversation is, is very helpful. And I have found that with my clients, mostly the minute that the minute that I kind of say something along the lines of, you know, does, does your anxiety make it difficult for you to go to class or does it make it difficult to take notes, it's kind of like you're taking the lid off a box because then the person, you know, again, in my experience, is just much more comfortable sharing with you, you know, yes, this is all the ways that it's impairing me from these things that I want to do or these things that are important to me and not, you know, this kind of judgment of, 
why aren't you going to class or, or whatever. Um, so that's something that, that kind of piece of looking at the whole picture and kind of understanding that as, as being one element of the person, not, not just, you know, one element that may be responsible for the fact that their grades aren't doing very well and not just the whole, not them as a whole. Mm. I, that sounds like a very refreshing approach to me, and I'm sure that your students appreciate that as well. Yeah, well, it's it's fun to work with. Um, it's definitely fun to work with that population because it does seem like ET is it, uh, kind of surprisingly, I would say, it wouldn't be something people would think of right away, but it is something that can definitely help out in that area. Mm -hmm. Just framing it a little differently. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the next question, uh, could you please discuss what the Assistive Technology Resource Center at Colorado State University is, um, including how it was started and the types of services it provides? And Marla, I believe you were going to start off this. this sure. I'm happy to take this one. Um, because I, you know, I've been around a while and have some of the history on it. Um, so I think it was maybe in the early 90s that we had a department head at the time that I'm sure many occupational therapists know, because she was a leader in our profession. Her name was Ellie Guilfoyle, and she um, sought a grant and was successful in um, getting that funded, and it was through IBM. So at the time, in the early days of assistive technology, IBM was kind of in the forefront trying to create software that would let people with disabilities interact with computers. And they funded a lab that was used mostly for demonstration purposes. So it was for students, it was for the community, it was for whoever wanted to come and learn about assistive technology. Um, and then over time, I think more grants were pursued. The lab itself was expanded. And I, a natural thing that began to happen is the campus began to turn to the Assistive Technology Resource Center to um, find assistance on what assistive technologies might be helpful for students. And I think most typically you'll find that assistive technology supports happen out of the Disability Support Office, which all campuses, all public institutions are required to have something along those lines. And um, traditionally, I think the assistive technology has fallen in those offices. But we were unique having it in the occupational therapy program. And the DS office, as well as the VP for IT and the VP for Student Affairs actually approached our center to begin formally serving the campus. And so then we became a provider for campus, uh, both students with disabilities and employees. Um, and, and then that was our primary mission or charge by the campus is to ensure that equivalent access for any student or faculty member that had a disability. Um, I guess I would add one more thing about that. And, I think that we see that there's a lot of benefits of having the AT Center in the OT department versus in a disability support office, and that is that um, we can actually teach in the OT program about assistive technology, and it's also given us an opportunity to partner with faculty on things like grants and research related to assistive tech. So I think having a campus service in an academic department like OT has been a win-win for our campus. 
Okay, wonderful. Uh, your article mentions uh, the hat model. Can you please discuss what this is and how it, it is incorporated at the Assistive Technology Resource Center? Um, Ellen, I believe you were going to lead this discussion. Yeah, I'm definitely glad to talk about the HAT model. It's something that um, I heard about from Marla kind of on my very first day of work, um, and it's something that we focus on throughout, especially the instruction for the occupational therapy students and then also in our client services. So like many occupational therapy models, um, you do in this model have the elements of the person, the activity, and the context, um, importantly. So kind of most, most simply it describes someone doing something in a context using AT. So the, the H-A-A-T is the human activity and, and AT um, that kind of is represented typically as a sphere that sits on top of the, the context that kind of surrounds it. So this is a transactional model, and the way that it's described importantly is having the assistive technology positioned at the end of that sentence. So the focus is on the person and the activity that they're engaged in and, and the context in which, in which that activity is taking place. And it is not focused on the assistive technology to start. So the organization of that and the way we put it into practice um, focuses on the fact that um, the way that assistive technology really is, is truly supposed to work, at least according to this model, is that you don't want to be trying to fit the person to the technology. Um, the technology is, um, you know, is, is what's going to help with meeting the needs of the user um, while they're engaging in what's important to them. And this is something that we kind of, you know, I, my first year I occupied a teaching position um, related to the Assistive Technology Resource Center. So I was teaching first and second year students um, AT content. And, we, and I touched on this model kind of every time we did a lab as a reminder that, you know, no matter how cool the piece of technology that you're looking at, um, you know, all the cool features, and especially, you know, with the latest, develop, the latest developments, latest technologies, and the capabilities that are really, really impressive, you do have to keep in mind that um, if it doesn't fit the person, then it's not the right piece of AT, no matter how cool it is. Um, and that is something that we really stress again and again, because it's a trap that, can, that a therapist can very easily fall into if they have kind of their favorite piece of technology that they recommend for everyone because it's you know, the latest and greatest and it has all these cool features. But they're not really considering whether or not this is the right fit for that person, that context, and that specific activity. Um, then you can, then that's kind of can lead you into a pretty bad setup, um, which is you know, in the assistive tech world, we're always concerned about device abandonment. And that typically, you know, and when I say device abandonment, I mean you know, getting a piece of technology and then ultimately not using it. Lots of times that comes from a poor fit, um, which probably you know everyone has experienced in in some context where they've bought themselves you know the latest gadget and thought it was going to be so so helpful, and then ultimately found that they didn't really use it very much, and so that was kind of a waste of their resources. And so when you're talking about disability, you're talking about um, assistive technology for that disability. That kind of comes with an even higher cost of you might be looking at a device that is quite expensive, and it may not be within the person's means to replace it with something else that is a better fit. So in addition to kind of, you know, what, what we do here with the model is that, of course, you can't know necessarily right from the gate whether or not something's going to fit a person, but we, we try stuff out. We send people home with 
you know, a trial of the software or a trial of a piece of hardware that we have, um, such as like the LiveScribe pen, which can be used for taking notes. Um, we send it home with people so that they can try it, and then we follow up with them and ask them if they have any questions. And sometimes, you know, they say, "Oh, gee, you know, I, I didn't get around to using it because I didn't have a reading assignment. Um, could I could I come back in? I can't really remember how to do it." And then we're available to provide that, you know, a training again, or kind of a re-up on the training, or just kind of a, you know, a review of some of the other features that are available, so that we support the person as much as possible to see if that is a good fit for them. And then if it's not, if they don't like it or they just find that they're not using it, then you know, we've kind of done our due diligence to, to be in communication with this person where we can choose a different um, piece of technology and have them trial that and kind of make sure that that fits, um, that fits in with, with what their needs are. And so the focus always, and you know, at, indeed as it always should be in occupational therapy, is on, on the person and what they need to do um, and kind of what the contextual factors are there, and then AT kind of fits in there, um, and we make sure that it fits within those first three elements and, and doesn't kind of start, doesn't, doesn't act as the very start of the process. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Uh, what type of clients do you see at the Assistive Technology Resource Center? Um, and how are they referred to or made aware of your center? Um, and Shannon, I think you were going to lead that. That's yes, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I think that's a, a great question. Um, yes, and I, I know Marla talked a little bit um, about our services, but um, the, the clients that we see at the ATRC include uh, Colorado State University um, students and employees with uh, disabilities. Um, so the, the students that we provide service is to um, they can range from undergrad students um, to master's students to doctoral students. Um, we see we're seeing more and more non-traditional students um, coming to our offices uh, or to our office, sorry, and um, also just a, a broad range of majors. So um, students studying in, in the sciences versus liberal arts, uh, music. So um, all majors um, are included. Um, and then as far as the employees with disabilities that we support, um, that could be any employee, employee on campus. So that could range from a faculty member to any uh, staff member who might do more administrative work or things like that. Mm. Um, additionally, um, we, we do get um, occasional requests from um, community members who um, aren't necessarily affiliated with um, our university. So just kind of as uh, time and resources allow, we um, try to help out as much as we can or at least provide um, resources um, re resources to them. So if we can't directly work with them, um, we can steer them in the right direction. Um, so and as far as the, the clients that we see, um, I, I know we've talked about this a, a little bit already, but there we do see a broad range of um, people with disabilities coming into our office. So this could range from clients with non-apparent disabilities, uh, so areas like mental health considerations, learning disabilities, um, uh, individuals on the autism spectrum or traumatic brain injury, um, to those more apparent disabilities, which could um, be more uh, physical, uh, like spinal cord injury, or maybe an individual with um, a visual impairment, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think about two-thirds of our uh, clients have m more of the non-apparent disabilities. 
um, th that we uh, serve. Yeah, I, and, I think that number's creeping up upwards of almost three quarters in the last okay. semester. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. by far the largest population we're serving. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and I, I also wanted to add that our campus is very veteran friendly, so we, we're seeing mm -hmm. more and more vet, veterans coming through our office. And um, as far as um, how um, individuals are referred or made aware of the ATRC, um, on, the, on the student side, um, most of our students are referred by the Disability Support Office on our campus, um, but we also receive some referrals from uh, physical therapy in our um, health center. Um, and then regarding employee services, um, employees can actually be self-referred or they can be referred by their department or our Office of Equal Opportunity. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so beyond uh, having people get referred to our office, um, we also try to participate in a lot of outreach opportunities. So th this could look like uh, trainings or workshops um, that we provide to campus departments that kind of provide an overview of the um, services that pr we provide and give examples of the technology supports that are available. Um, we try to participate in different events and fairs that are going on on campus and out in the community as well, just to uh, kind of get our name out and bring uh, more awareness to our services. Um, Megan, can I add one more piece to that too? Um, I think there's another group of clients that we're increasingly serving, and this is maybe thinking more at the popula population or organization level. So our, we've ended up uh, in a role of consulting or educating our campus about electronic accessibility. So mm -hmm. for example, um, we might host a workshop or do a training for a group of faculty that want to know how to make their course content work with assistive technology. Or another example might be a group of web developers that want to know things they can do in HTML to create an accessible web page so that people who are blind and use screen reading software can read that content. So it's, a, it's another, I guess, group of clients that are more in that uh, organization popula population realm that seek our help more from a consultative and educative approach. Oh, that's great. And would you say, do you serve more students or faculty in general? Uh, definitely more students. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's interesting, like the differences, like students, uh, this is oversimplifying it, but I would say the faculty we serve or the employees we serve, the um, interventions are sometimes, they take longer, the training takes longer, and you have bigger variability in what their assistive tech needs are. So I think we start to see some patterns and um, trends in the student side of services where on the employee side, it's a real mix of kinds of things that we address. Okay. Um, and I actually have some, a couple follow-up questions to some of the things you, these ladies have said. Um, when somebody is referred to you, I imagine they come to the center and you do an evaluation. Um, what kind of evaluation do you do to kind of ensure that fit that um, Ellen was talking about when we discussed the HAP model? Right, that there's a good fit. Do you, you want to field that one, Shannon? 
Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as far as the evaluation process, we do have a um, kind of a guided interview process that we go through where we kind of we gather more information about the student's occupational profile, um, kind of their academic and um, accommodation history. Um, so, so we look at um, kind of the, the strategies that they're already using and um, also trying to get at their uh, goals and concerns that they're having in different academic areas. So that could include areas such as uh, reading, writing, note-taking, um, just kind of those common core student roles uh, and activities that they have to participate in. Um, we, um, we'll ask questions about um, the technology that they already have and what they prefer to use. So uh, maybe a student would rather access the technology on their laptop. Um, more and more students are um, wanting and hoping to access the technology from their mobile devices, so just from their iPhone, so that's becoming more common. Um, yeah, and so we try to gather information about their kind of their comfort level with technology and uh, their preferences of uh, where they want to use the technology, how they want to use the technology, and uh, where and for what tasks. Um, yeah, so that that is part of the interview process that we go through. Um, uh, another tool that we use is the the COPM, so the mm. Canadian Occupational Performance Measure. I think I got that right. <laughs> um, and we have some of, some of a modified version, so we um, specifically look at um, academic tasks and assess the importance of those areas, their performance and satisfaction. So that also helps guide our services and helps us prioritize what areas to focus on. Okay. Did I get um, did I get everything? <laughs> oh, I I think so. That's very helpful. How long, and I realize it's gonna you know vary depending on you know the needs of the student. How long would you say the average evaluation lasts? Uh, we we try to um, time for maybe an hour, an hour and a half for um, okay. to get that initial information. Um, but we kind of feel like the the evaluation and assessment is kind of conti continuously um, happens, even for um, more follow-up appointments. So um, mm -hmm. w w when we're introducing and um, showing and demonstrating and have, having the students and employees try some of the technology, it's kind of like kind of structured trial and error. So even though we might be starting the intervention phase, um, that information helps us determine whether or not the individual want, would like to continue with the technology or if we might need to re reconsider something else. Okay. And, uh, and again, I understand it's going to vary depending on, you know, the needs of the student and what you might be recommending. Um, what are some of the most common things that you recommend and how many times, you know, might you see a student during an academic year on average? Okay, sure. Um, let's see. Um, I, I guess because uh, the majority of uh, the students that we provide services to have more of the uh, non-apparent uh, disabilities, um, it, it seems like uh, kind of those literacy support um, options such as text-to-speech or mm -hmm. um, technology to help support um, writing and organization, uh, those tend to be more common. So 
maybe text-to-speech software or apps, um, spell check options, um, maybe dictation, um, so software and just built-in options. And I feel like uh, there's tends to be a lot of need for support around uh, time management and organization. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe looking at those tools to help with um, calendars and scheduling and uh, reminders and notifications. And um, what, what was the second part of your question? Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, on average, how many times would you say you might see a student a semester or over an academic year? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, so, yeah, as you can guess, that always varies. Um, so <laughs> sometimes students uh, can just, they might meet with us uh, maybe one or two times and they're they're good for the, the semester. Um, other students might need to meet with us weekly for um, several weeks or even even the whole semester. So I guess there is that um, that range, but we um, at the end of each semester we um, try to contact all of our um, current um, clients just to make sure everything's working for them. So if they have a change in their major or their classes are going to look completely different for the following semester, we might have to uh, re-engage in those um, appointments and. Um, so that that might increase the training for a while. Okay. Do you ever um, go observe the student in the classroom or go to the classroom with them to help them figure out the technology or, you know, to an employee's office? Things oh, like that? Yeah, sure. Um, just as you can imagine, as occupational therapists, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's always more meaningful if we can, if the student or employee is um, actually um, trained in the environment where they would like to use the technology. So yeah, especially with um, employees, I think more th- more often than not, we're actually at their office getting them um, trained and set up with the technology. Um, and then as as far as the students, if, if the student, um, some students just w- want to use their technology on their own devices, so that kind of gives us flexibility where we provide the training. Um, yeah, some students prefer uh, going to the library to study. So uh, we actually have some assistive technology rooms in our campus library. So um, a lot of, tr- yeah, they're such a great resource, <laughs> and students love them. So uh, a lot of training does occur um, in places like that. And um, an- another um, service that we provide is we're able to install uh, those some of the common assistive technology throughout campus. So um, just in some of the student support um, offices that have computer labs, like maybe um, for athletics or for the veterans and uh, adult learners, um, we have our um, software installed in those computer labs so um, students can access the technology that way as well. Wonderful. Um, what kind of billing and documentation is completed, you know, um, after you've done all these wonderful things, you know, at the center? Um, so I think you're going to leave that one as well. <laughs> yes, uh, great question. Um, so I, I would say the majority of our documentation is um, electronic. So our uh, actually our college IT 
IT department um, developed a, a database specifically for our um, documentation. And so in this database, we're documenting things like uh, client records, or the evaluation, uh, that interview process I spoke of, just uh, progress notes um, when students come in. Uh, we also track their the COPM scores and um, things like uh, cancellations and no-shows. Uh, we try to, uh, with that um, database, we're tracking contact hours and non-contact hours and what technology software or hardware loans uh, um, have been loaned out to um, em employees and students. And yeah, because that database was de developed for us, we have been able to really customize the features of the database to kind of fit our needs. And I, I just wanted to add that um, in addition to documenting the kind of things around client services, we are also using the database to track information to help us with um, our for research purposes. So oh. we're, we're looking at areas like uh, client demographics, uh, their disability, uh, maybe what types of assistive technology they ended up using, so information like that. Okay. Um, and then as, as far as uh, billing, um, and Marla, if you wanted to add more <laughs> to this, I, <laughs> I wanted to say that uh, uh, because our services are provided as part of a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disability Act and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, we actually um, don't need to bill for our services. But Marla, feel free to expand on that. <laughs> Sure. I, I mean, I think the way the university sees it is um, it's a compliance thing. So, you know, we're obligated as a university to provide these equivalent learning opportunities for a student with a disability. And that's really what the university cares about. And so I think the perspective is do what you need to do to ensure that these students have that access that they need. And if it takes you one visit or ten, you know, uh, the bottom line is the outcome of that access for all students. Okay. That's great. Okay. Sounds like you're doing some wonderful things. We like our jobs. Very rewarding. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I would love to hear um, about how occupational therapy students are involved with the Assistive Technology Resource Center. And I think, Ellen, you were going to discuss that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I think it's one of the, the kind of greatest pieces of getting a degree here at CSU because it is, you know, as it says in the name, it is a huge resource that occupational therapy students kind of can be involved in in a number of different ways. So first of all, as has been mentioned before, it's located in our occupational therapy building where all the occupational therapy students take all of their classes and so it kind of, you know, just creates a, an environment that's more welcoming and encourages students to come up and use the lab and kind of if they're designing an intervention plan for an assignment, they can come up to the lab and explore what's here, sort of see what kind of options are here, um, ask questions. Marla um, sits right by the lab and so her door is always open and she is always seems to be happy to interrupt herself and talk about, um, talk to the students about assistive tech and um, kind of what, what they're working on. Another way that it's that occupational therapy students are involved is just kind of with with our instruction of the AT content, which is integrated throughout coursework um, during the two years that they are here. We have multiple labs 
each year for both first and second year students that focus on assistive technology. Um, and then the ATRC also employs some of the students, like myself. Um, and so I was a graduate student teacher, and um, that was really nice because kind of a, um, in addition to you know that being helpful for me and where I, I kind of grew a lot in this area, the, the knowledge of assistive technology, what options there were, it also kind of created me as a resource for my classmates. So I would frequently get you know incredibly informal, you know, Facebook messages or texts or something with questions about, oh hey, is there is there something for this? And it would range from you know assignment we were working on or a person that they'd seen at fieldwork and they were kind of strategizing about um, what they could do, um, you know, someone's grandfather who had a stroke, um, and did I have any ideas for this, this, or this. And, you know, my depth of knowledge is, is limited to my tenure here, but obviously I have close relationships with the other people who work in the ATRC, so lots of times my answer was, you know, I don't know, let me get back to you. Um, but it basically created this open line of communication through me um, where the students can really benefit from the center um, in kind of their intervention planning. I think that um, that's just one of the, the big benefits is that we really kind of introduce AT as, you know, an element that should be considered kind of with all of your intervention planning, no matter what, no matter who you're working on is. Technology is something that you should at least consider. Um, we also employ some other grad students for kind of other projects, not necessarily the, the student teaching and then obviously the, the client services piece as well. And then we also have fieldwork opportunities up here, both level one and level two fieldworks. And so... Level ones typically, you know, go into the same level of depth that level ones do in general. They can kind of sit in and um, see some of our appointments and then begin to participate in some of the, the intake process or the assessment process or doing some of the demos of the software. And then obviously a level two kind of creates a, a much greater opportunity for what, you know, the student is able to both contribute and get out of the ATRC. So we haven't had a, a level two student um, while I've been here. Um, and that is partially because for the Colorado State University OT program, we do our level twos in the summer, which is, of course, not the ideal time to do um, a field work at a university because the kind yeah. of how many appointments we have, how many students come in drops, you know, over the summer. And so it's not, not a good time. So fall or spring um, would kind of be the optimum time. And um, that, that can be a little bit challenging with the current schedule with kind of the incoming OTD and um, changing of the curriculum that that may kind of shift when level twos happen, um, and that might be something that could be beneficial for the ATRC. Okay, sounds good. Um, sounds like, yeah, sounds like some wonderful opportunities for for the students there. Mm -hmm. um, I know you mentioned before how um, you know you go to other departments at CSU and educate you know faculty staff what have you, um, about the resources that you provide and that you sometimes, uh, you know, get referrals from. I think you mentioned PT, for example, departments, um, you know, get referrals from them. Are there other disciplines that are officially involved at the center or is it just the OT department, faculty and staff? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can field that one if you guys don't mind. So it's you know, it's primarily OTs that are working in the center, but we also, I feel really fortunate that we have a full-time IT person um, whose role is, you know, to, to make sure this stuff all works. Uh, we, we have, I feel like it's a pretty robust and sophisticated assistive tech model where we put it across campus like Shannon mentioned, and so 
an understanding of networks and um, the IT infrastructure for the campus is pretty important. So we're very mm -hmm. lucky that we have some IT expertise to help us with installation and troubleshooting and um, management of all of the licensing and that kind of thing. And then that individual actually hires computer science students or sometimes computer information science students to work alongside her so they kind of get some training and more on the IT management side of assistive technology. Okay. Um, and that kind of actually leads me to another question that I have not asked. Um, what kind of staffing does the Assistive Technology Resource Center have? Um, and I'll mention the students a little bit, but in terms of like, you know, OT practitioners, faculty. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's myself who kind of oversees the center and its activities and tries to bring some of the content into the OT program. And then, I, I'm sorry, interrupt. Are you, are you full time at the center? Sorry, yes, full time occupational therapist. And then we have another full time occupational therapist in Shannon. Um, and Shannon oversees all of the services related to students. Okay. And then we have another occupational therapist that's full-time. Well, now she's four days a week because she had a baby. But <laughs> she oversees the employee side of services um, and okay. works more closely with human resources and Office of Equal Opportunity and that kind of thing. Um, and, then the re and then we have the full-time IT person. Mm -hmm. um, and then some IT student hourly support. And then we average three to four occupational therapy graduate students as employees in here as well. So okay. it's, you know, and then they each do about 10 hours. Um, so it's eight to nine personnel, um, four of which are full-time. Okay. That's great. Okay. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge you face at the assessment? Assistive Technology Resource Center. Um, and Marla, I believe you were going to lead that discussion. Sure. I, I, you know, there's, there's a handful of them, but I think the two that I wanted to share, one of the biggest challenges we face is that we have needs in our community for assistive tech, mm. and I think we're not funded to serve the community extensively, so our, our, our funding really is tied to serving the campus. But we see the need there, and we get a fair amount of requests to help with community. Um, you know, just people whose family members might benefit, or we get calls from public schools or employers, all trying to figure out if they can tap into assistive technology supports. And um, you know, I think times we've had some grants that would let us do it short term, but I think a frustration is not um, having a sustainable model to provide supports to the community. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is I think higher ed is going through some changes with, um, I, I think about when I was an OT working in public schools and I provided you know, OT services in the schools, and we were trying to get teachers on board with good teaching practices so that we didn't have to pull kids out of classrooms so they could be participating in the classroom. And I think about that now in this higher ed context where I think faculty have leaned historically on the disability support office and 
and haven't been real involved in supporting students with disabilities in their success in their classrooms. And I feel like we're at a, a point in time where it's shifting so that faculty are are getting more involved. And it's encouraging, but it's also a frustration because I think uh, you know, you have a campus of this size with 26,000 students and I don't know, three, 4,000 faculty. How do, you get, how do you get change on the part of faculty uh, to a large degree to really better meet the needs of students with disabilities in their classrooms? So I feel like we are making some progress in that realm, but some days it feels really, really daunting and really, really big. <laughs> mm. Mm. It, it's it's kind of thinking about universal design in higher ed instead of a one-off accommodation for a student with a disability. Like if faculty proactively plan to make the course work for all students, then the need for all these specialized supports will go down. And I I see that we're shifting that way, but we have certainly a long way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Um, what do you see personally as the biggest reward you've experienced being involved with the Assistive Technology Resource Center? Um, and Shannon, I think you were going to lead this discussion. Uh, yeah, sure. And oh gosh, I was just thinking that's kind of hard to narrow it down to maybe one one reward, but I'll I'll try. Um, but I, I just know um, I absolutely love just working on this campus with the uh, college uh, student population. I, I feel like they just bring so much energy um, to our services, and we learn so much from them. Um, but uh, just in the several years that I've worked here, I, I really loved, um, I, I think the one of the biggest rewards is seeing how much of a like an immediate impact the technology can have on our clients to support them in their um, various occupations. So a lot of times this could even be just a super simple app or even a, a free built-in feature that is um, already on their technology. So just even one little tool like that can just uh, be a uh, – I, I keep hearing students say that, <laughs> uh, that uh, the technology has been a game changer and a life changer. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be the super complicated um, piece of technology. It could just be an app. So I, um, I just – yeah, I love hearing that, and um, and yeah, as you can imagine, there's just so many different uh, technology and mainstream options available these days. So it's been uh, really fun, just kind of collaborate uh, collaboratively working with our clients to um, come up with some creative solutions on how these on how the technology can help support them and increase their participation in their occupations. Oh, that's great. Um, and Ellen, I think you might have wanted to share as well. Yeah, um, for me, uh, working here is basically like having another field work that has been ongoing this whole year. And mm -hmm. it's just been, I mean, it's just been so cool. And it's so different from a lot of other settings that you can choose on field work everywhere else that I've been is kind of more of a medical setting. And so here, you know, I kind of work directly with clients and, and I have, you know, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with them. They're working only with me. They're not necessarily working with other other people, so they're not getting kind of passed around. And um, it's a setting that's, you know, not, like as Marla outlined before, it's not restricted by productivity requirements or like a cap on how many times we can see people 
or anything like that. It's just, you know, we just work with people as much as we can um, until we find what they need. And then they can come back whenever they want to. You know, they can wait. Um, they can come back every week if they really need to, or they can wait, you know, several semesters and then um, check in with us again. And the other thing that I'm just pleased with, you know, and this is kind of a combination of teaching, client services, and also just being a student in this program, is that it really has, um, inspired me to just integrate technology into my practice in general, kind of regardless of where I'm going to be. So even if I'm not, I don't end up in a setting where I'm working with, you know, mostly adolescents with non-apparent disabilities, um, kind of just having that technology um, lens or, or consideration just lodged in, you know, how I approach a problem, how I evaluate um, what I want to do with someone um, feels like a huge, a huge bonus, and it, it inspires me to kind of stay on top of it too. Because obviously, tech is always changing, and so um, you have to really, do, you really do really kind of have to pay attention in order to be up to speed on on what's available. Mm. Wow, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, what recommendations do you have for practitioners interested in starting a program similar to the Assistive Technology Resource Center? Um, and Marla, I believe you were going to lead this discussion. Sure. Um, I think a piece of advice for OTs is to maybe look for jobs that are not listed as OT positions. Mm. So, um, you know, in higher ed, all campuses have, I mentioned this before, but they have some type of disability support office. And increasingly, we're seeing more campuses that have an office or a person that deals with the electronic accessibility piece. And I think OTs are very well suited for these jobs, but they have to proactively look at openings in higher ed. Um, th these are jobs that fall in the education realm, not the medical realm. So I think looking for jobs in, in these settings and looking for things that are n not necessarily OT, but so for example, um, a lot of DS offices have people working as intake counselors that have degrees in things like social work or vocational rehab. Well, I think OT is as well suited as those professions in serving these students with disabilities in higher ed. So to, I guess, um, you know, broaden their search capabilities to find these positions. Um, another thing would be for OTs to get involved with the Association on Higher Ed and Disability. And this is a professional organization um, that's composed of a variety of disciplines, but all with, with an interest and a focus on disability in higher ed. And I, you know, I would love to see OTs having a bigger presence in this group. Um, I feel like our representation is quite small, but it's where a change for our profession could happen to become bigger players in this higher ed realm. Um, I think there's lots of room for OTs to practice in higher ed. Um, there's campus health centers. There's human resources serving students or employees with disabilities. There's an increasing need for a skill set working with students with mental health considerations. There's more and more veterans coming to higher ed. So, you know, these are all, um, I guess, individuals that could benefit from OT services, but the, their jobs aren't going to be presented as that. So we have to go after them and find them and then market our unique contributions as occupational therapists. Let's see. Um, 
Well, I have so enjoyed speaking with, with all of you and hearing your, your thoughts and learning more about the center. Um, is there anything additional that any of you would like to um, add on to what we've been discussing or anything else you'd like to mention to our listeners? Um, Ellen, I think you, I mean, I, I'll just say one quick thing, and I, it's kind of what I just said, but I think I would love to see our profession begin to market our skills in this post-secondary realm. Um, I think opportunity abounds there. We just have to get kind of strategic about looking for it and marketing the values of our profession. So I'll just, I'll kind of end with that. Um, and I think, you know, Ellen and Shannon, if you guys have any any additions there. Yeah, well, I have a, I mean, I have kind of a, I'm not quite as deeply integrated into, you know, what the ATRC has been here, but definitely my experience of just like checking in with technology and kind of exploring it in use with my clients has kind of left me, um, with an understanding that like AT used to be very much a, a niche area of occupational therapy and, and people specialized in technology or, you know, they were, they were tech people or they were techies. Um, and so that I think can lead other OTs to kind of think that they can leave assistive tech to the specialists. And, and, you know, as I'm kind of starting as a, as a new practitioner, I'm kind of aware via working here that technology, you know, is, is absolutely ubiquitous and smartphones are in everyone's pocket, and um, you as a practitioner can't really opt out of knowing what options there are available in, in mainstream devices or kind of mainstream technology because your client probably has something that you can work with. Um, and so if you're, um, you know, you have the potential to have this, this life-changing change, kind of like what Shannon mentioned, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to buy them a $300 piece of equipment, it could just be that you help them get their calendar organized or you help them get a system set up for their email or you, or you change the settings on their phone slightly um, to kind of decrease distractions or increase you know, their ability to interact with it. Um, and that could really be life-changing. It could be a game-changer. It could be you know, the kind of language that we hear. Um, and so even if you're not specifically in this practice area or, or internet practice area that focuses on technology, you know, if you're working with an adolescent who's recovering from a brain injury or you're working with somebody who has, you know, low vision as a result of aging or kind of an, any number of things, there's there's so much that you can do without specializing, without buying anything new, without kind of having to be a tech person. And I think, you know, in, in, my, in my opinion, um, leaving this program, it really is a responsibility to, to know and understand what is available to you um, that that doesn't require any special special knowledge skills or purchases. Yeah. Uh, any anything else? Okay. Yeah. It is. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I think I think that's it. The the one thing I was going to add was um, Mar Marla um, already spoke to it. Or I was just. But I can just say real quick that I do think. OTs are just a wonderful fit for uh, kind of the disability, disability support um, services and AT supports in higher ed. And um, I just think there's plenty of opportunities, uh, as Marla mentioned, um, because there does the disability support offices and assistive tech supports do exist in most uh, two-year and four-year uh, colleges. So there's, um, yeah, plenty of opportunity if um, OTs are interested in this um, area. Yes, definitely. 
very exciting, and it's amazing. Yep, you know the technology that's out there. Even like you guys were saying, some of the just the mainstream common common things that can be used. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm afraid we are just about out of time. Um, I would like to take a moment to thank each of you for being with us today and for writing your wonderful article. Occupational Therapy and Assistive Technology, Unique Contributions to Accessibility in Higher Education. Um, thank you for joining me today to talk about your work and the, the wonderful center that you have at Colorado State. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan. <laughs> thank you. Um, and thank you as well to all who joined us uh, live, either by phone or online. And to those of you listening to the archived version of this virtual chat, if you have additional questions and are an AOT member, please go to the technology forum on OT Connections to continue this conversation. The easiest way to find the technology forum is to go to otconnections.aota.org, click on AOTA forums, then click on technology. Again, that's otconnections.aota.org. Click AOTA forums at the top, then click on technology. If you are not an AOTA member, please email me at edwardsme at wssu.edu. Also, please look out for details on future virtual chats to be held with authors writing technology-related articles for the SIS quarterly practice connections. There will be a virtual chat about the February technology article at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 5th. Until then, on behalf of the technology leadership team, I'm Megan Edwards-Collins. Thank you again for joining us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.